So, this pastor's been preaching on the power of the spoken word that if a criminal comes your way, you, in the name of Jesus, you speak the word of God from the Bible, from Genesis, Matthew, book of Acts, Romans. You declare the word and you tell them to go. So this lady sitting, crocheting, watching TV at night, intruder breaks in. She looks at him, she says, in Jesus' name I declare Acts chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 22, over you. Acts 4, 22, Acts 4, Jesus' name, Acts 4. And the guy turns around and he runs and dives out the window. He forgets he's on the fourth story and he ends up in hospital. So now the police come to do an investigation and they say, now, what were you trying to do, burglary? And what prompted you to take such a drastic measure as dive out of a third-story building through a glass plate window? He says, this woman... She called for Jesse to come with his axe and two forty-twos. And I was waiting for this Jesse to come with an axe and two forty-twos. And I thought, I'm not waiting. I'm getting out of here. And I dived through the window. <laughs> now, it might be a little bit funny, but there is a message in it. And it's that, what he believed caused him to act in a certain way. And if I think about this past year and what has stood out to me the most as the um, pastor of a preaching with the preaching team at setting the preaching direction has been summarized, if you like, in this statement is that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That the way we think, our dominant thinking is directing the course of our life. We are moving in that direction of whatever we have believed, chosen to believe, come to believe. And the emphasis over the year has been, we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the way we think about a whole lot of things. Now, psychologists have cottoned on to this, and there's all kinds of clinics of, you know, positive thinking and positive confession and changing thought patterns. And, and I, I, I don't say that that's necessarily harmful. I just know there's a much better way. And that's when you come into agreement with the truth of God. And the truth of God has to come by revelation. You see... Peter didn't come up with the idea that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus said, this was revealed. It's revelation that brings about knowledge of truth. Lies and truth cannot coexist. But if we believe a lie, we'll move in the direction of that lie. We'll be in the bondage of that lie. And that lie will manifest in our life at some point. Now, you take this further, 
into our, as born again believers, we've looked this year and I've had fresh revelation on this. Maybe it's been more for me than others. Maybe some got it, some didn't. But I see my relationship and people's relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ at three levels. I see the level of the scene created. That's where we live right now. You got up, you had a coffee this morning, you looked out at beautiful sunrise. You live in a magnificent, spectacular planet called Earth. It's a scene-created world. And Jesus, as God in the flesh, stepped into this created scene world and took on every limitation, every challenge, every hardship. He was caught up in the, the, the fallen world that had distanced itself from God and created a God in its own image. A fallen world of selfishness, envy. And he comes into this world and many people still today know that he existed. To deny his existence is like denying that Julius Caesar lived or Napoleon Bonaparte lived. There's enough historical evidence to show that there was this man, Jesus Christ, who had such an impact in the earth that it split our calendar B.C. A.D. To deny that is just foolish. It's just ridiculous. But to hold him at just being a good man and just being a prophet is equally falling short and wrong-headed. Because God also created a second level that we've looked at throughout this year of the created, but it's unseen. It's the realm of the soul. It's the realm of thinking, thoughts, memories, dreams. It's there. It can be detected as brain activity on a computer, but they cannot actually capture exactly what it is. Demons, angels, all kinds of laws and principalities that operate in this created, unseen dimension. And it's there where we come to our great revelation that this Jesus wasn't just a man and a good prophet, but he is God. And that is what differentiates us from any other religion. Every other religion has a guru, has a man they follow, but we uniquely stand in the belief that when God wants to do connect with his creation, he had to break through into the very fallen world that you and I inhabit. He had to come into your situation and take on our fallenness and become our sin and wrongheadedness about God, the, the creator who had somehow been pushed away out there somewhere as a moral judge. And he reveals himself as God. And for most evangelicals and Protestants and the Reformed Church, the Catholic Church, the idea of the Trinity is accepted. But there's another level that we have pressed into where we understand that not only did he create the seen created and the created unseen, but he also is the God of the uncreated and unseen. 
It's the realm that God has lived forever and will live forever. And it's in that communion of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that so purposed to have a family of millions and millions of, of children embraced into this love affair, this divine romance that spawned out the universe and the cosmos. God, even anticipating the end from the beginning, it says Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. God's purpose was always to have this family and a family that wouldn't stand afar off. And in most religion, as we've illustrated many times, it's like God is out there above that cloud in the distance and I live my life here as well as I can and hopefully I please him and I get enough good ticks and they kind of cancel out my bad ticks. And one day I'll get before him and I'll hope that He's in a good mood. Because like the little boy coming home from Sunday school said, Mommy, I learned about the Old Testament and then the New Testament today. And his mommy said, what did you learn? Well, I learned that the God of the Old Testament became a Christian in the New Testament. And we laugh, but so much of our theology is built around this angry, distant God, but this loving, kind Jesus. And until we put those two together and we hear with revelation, Jesus saying, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. Look at the one who's, who healed on the Sabbath, contrary to the religion, the Judaistic religion that had formed God in their own image as a judgmental, angry, distant solitaire kind of creature. And Jesus said, you want to know what he looks like? Adulterous woman, come here. You, without sin, throw the first stone. Now, let me break that sin off you because I don't like sin. It destroys my children. Now go be free. Is God capable of wrath? You better believe it. He is so wrathful against any form of sin that will destroy your life and your relationship with him. That he took it head on by the neck, dragged it up the cross, took on its nature so that you can become the righteousness of God in heaven. Hallelujah. Understanding this for me this year, has just built on this amazing message of grace that I am right now in my spirit man, interconnected, interwoven, and together with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm in the flesh. I live in a beautiful world, and I get to do lots of wonderful things, and I appreciate every moment. And in my soul, I can experience love, or I can and I have to resist fear. I can experience peace, but I have to resist anxiety. I can, in my soul, I have a spiritual war going on, but I'm more than an overcomer because Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. And the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. But I am a spirit. You are a spirit. It's not something you have to imagine. Right now, you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. You are one spirit with Him. You are joined together with Him in an unbreakable, unending 
communion. It will go on for eternity and eternity. And that, my friends, changes everything about how we read the Bible. Because Jesus came and said, I'll show you. I will heal on the Sabbath. I will forgive the woman caught in adultery. Our, my disciples eat with unclean hands. Because you see, religion had got to a point where it had so tried to crush God in its own image that it had separated ordinary people from God and separation broken. And yes, God used the nation of Israel to to present an understanding in covenantal language about sacrifice and blood and righteousness and representation and Messiah coming. But when Messiah came, the curtain was torn. And we are now seated in him because it's no longer we who live, but Christ who's living. In us. That changes everything. It even changes our marriage. Because I don't have to find verses to bully my wife into submission when I understand the spirit of the Bible and the message. You see, I believe the Bible is, contains the word of God very clearly. But if it's not seen in cultural and covenantal and dispensational, but not the bad dispensational, but in its bodies of truth, as progressively revealed, I can make the Bible say anything I wanted to. But not when you start with the central message. And his name is Jesus. And he comes, and he wakes up in the morning, and he says, right, I'm going to go take religion on today. Just bring it to me. Just come, baby. Come, come. Come. Let me give you one. Every day he woke up, there was a religious cow to slaughter. Evangelism changes. Because now evangelism is not (laughs) what you did to my poor son at Heaven's Gates and Hell's Gates, and we scared the hell right out of him and all of his friends because we told them the rapture was coming, and if they don't repent and confess all their sins, they, they, there's this terrible place where we don't have to use manipulative strategies to preach the gospel. All we've got to talk about is the goodness and love of Jesus, and something will ring true in, in people's hearts because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And you know, in preaching the gospel, you just got to paint the right picture of what his house looks like. And the homesick nature of people will find a place to rest. Because you know, people without God are homesick. Do you know that? Selfish people living for themselves are homesick. Have you ever felt what it means to be homesick? I mean, really like, I'm homesick. I just want to get home. I, I'm like missing, I'm missing mommy's cooking. I'm missing my bed. I, 
I mean, how many kids, when they do eventually leave the nest, these days it seems to be later and later and later, but when we left home, I, I remember, I mean, we had compulsory military, you know, being woken up at three in the morning with some guy swearing at you, telling you to remake your bed and get dressed and push you out into the freezing cold and then run up there to get something and then run back. And sorry, it was the wrong thing, so you must run again. And then you run back and he's taken your bed and tipped it over again. He says, why is your bed unmade? And you have to make your bed again. And their psychology was to break you down. You heard many a young man weeping at night. Homesick. Homesick. And for other reasons. You know why people get homesick? It's because they got a home. And people in the world are homesick because there's a home for them. But the gospel paints the picture of what that home looks like. And when they find out what that home is, something in them responds and says, yes, I want to come home. I heard a story about after the Second World War, elderly mother heard the battleship that her son was on had been sunk by a Russian torpedo submarine and she fell into depression. Every day just got worse and worse till she didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. She just wanted to die. She neglected her home. She neglected herself. She didn't want to see anybody, speak to anybody. And a year or so after the war, she gets a phone call. Those days would have come through the switchboard, those of you long enough, old enough to remember that. Will you take a direct call from da 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 and the sound of her son's voice. She said, but, but you're dead, you died. I said, no, mom, that day, our train was delayed and we couldn't get to the, the, the shipyard. We couldn't get on the ship. But we were taken as prisoners of war and we were kept until we were released. And suddenly, her whole world changed. Suddenly, she could get out of bed. Her son was coming home. She tidied the house. She prepared the fattened calf. She prepared the best meal that her son would want. What, did, what was the difference? She changed what she believed. You see, there's a difference between believing and faith. Believing is based on an interpretation or perspective or certain facts. Faith is knowing. Faith is when you hear the word saying, Mom, I'm coming home. That's not believing. That's faith. And people are homesick because they haven't heard this gospel. They haven't heard the message. They don't know they can belong in union, in the, the, the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experience and relationship. They've never heard that. So all they've heard is religion and the do's and the don'ts and the, the one more thing you lack. And people are living with the sense of, if only I had that, I would be fulfilled. If only I could do that, I would be fulfilled. 
When all the time, your fulfillment is being a son and being a daughter. We sang it this morning. I nearly came up and said, you know, at one place in the Bible, Antioch, they were called Christians. So that became the title, Christian. And that became another religion. But you know what the Bible says more often? Is you're a son and you're a daughter. Only one place you call a Christian. I don't know if I want to be known as a Christian. They did some terrible things during the Dark Ages. But a son or a daughter of Almighty God changes everything. When you understand that we're not just living in the created scene. We're not even just living in the created unseen. But our spirit is alive and well in the communion and the intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for a download of truth? I'm going to give you a five-minute download of truth. Are you ready? John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, you want to know what eternal life is? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you sent. You want to know what the Father looks like? Jesus see, look at me, you'll know what the Father looks like. Jesus is not saying he's the Father. He's saying you'll know what the Father looks like? Look at me. Father and Son, we identical. Holy Spirit, it's like the Father. The Father is like the Son. The Son is like the I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad there's a finished work that you were required but were incapable of and gave me to do? And and now, sure. And now, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. At this stage, I'm not praying for all the other people, but I'm praying specifically for these, my disciples. They are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. 
I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except Judas who denied Christ according to the scripture. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. The world hates it that you can call God your Father. The world hates it that you think you as righteous as Jesus Christ was righteous. The world hates it because they think you are so arrogant. You are so deceived. You are so self-righteous. You are so judgmental. Partly because that's what they've experienced from religion. But mostly because their own eyes are blinded. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You're being sanctified right now because you are receiving word. As you sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Through whose message? And you see the importance of sharing the message? You go back there and just say, every local church should be preaching the full gospel. Even if people know it and they've got it, we should be custodians here, weekly, declaring the good news. That our people are so saturated and soaked in it that it begins to penetrate and begins to emanate. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, here we come, here we go, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This wasn't just about a father and son being in communion. This is about father, me, and them. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Our friend, you're not going to get to heaven and say, wow, you know, God, we overestimated how good you were. We're not going to get to heaven and go, you know, God, I think we, we overrated this good news stuff. I mean, it was news, but I, I think we, we, we overrated. We, we over-exaggerated how fantastic it was. 
We're not going to get to heaven and say, God, sure, we really thought you were much more powerful than this. We're going to get to heaven and realize how little we understood that when Jesus shared his glory with us, you're sharing the very essence of the nature of the Godhead. Please don't walk out this door and be the same. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. And two verses that sum it up so beautifully out of the same book. In chapter 14, Jesus says, Before long the world will not see me anymore. But, talking to the disciples, You will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, what day? That day, which was post-crucifixion, post-burial, after you see I'm still alive, when that day comes, that day when I have risen from the dead, you will know and realize that I am in my Father. And where are you? You are in me. And where's Jesus? I am in you. You are in me. I am in you. I am in the Father. We are in the Father. The same spirit that was in Jesus is in us. Anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. You will realize that there's no separation. You will realize there's no separation. This is the good news of the gospel. And for me, 2022 although it just seems like the last few years have blended together, this year, understanding this in a, maybe just a, at a new level, changes everything about how I go about my faith, how I go about my life, how I go about my walk with the Lord. Won't you stand up with me? As we pray, next Sunday is Christmas morning, the remembrance of the genesis of the gospel. But as we stand at the end of a year, and some of you have heard some of these things many times, some of you, but I want to pray that God's word will not return void. I want to pray that Signs will follow the preaching of the gospel. That that sign will be a greater intimacy, 
a greater belonging, a feeling of having come home, a feeling of being snapped out of unbelief into faith. Lord, we just want to lift ourselves up to you. At the end of a year for many, Lord, I'm just aware it's been a year fraught with challenges. I feel like my words don't even have enough energy behind them, Lord. When I think of some of the destruction and devastation that people are going through, the loneliness of the widow, the, the bereavement of, of people who've lost loved ones, the hopelessness that's come with businesses shutting down. And Lord, in all these things, we dare to declare that we are more than conquerors. In all these things, we dare to believe that our God is for us. In all these things, we dare to believe that without faith, it would be impossible. So I just want to stand here this end of this year together with my friends, the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I declare fruitfulness over this word. Fruitfulness that none of it will be stolen and none of it will be lost. None of it will fall on the rocky ground. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.